Good afternoon. It's good to see everybody. Uh, we're a little lopsided this afternoon. Everybody's over here, but uh, we've got a lot of people that are out sick and some that have uh, not wanted to venture out. Um, 572, Pop. I'm going to give you some time back, and we won't do the failed experiment of the cough drop. Uh, I talked for 47 minutes. I'm, I know my cough drop didn't last that long this morning. So um, We're going to talk this afternoon toward the children. We talked to the parents uh, this morning. Uh, so if you don't consider yourself a child, uh, sorry about that. Uh, there will still be some things that will be applicable to us that are, uh, would not consider ourselves as children. Um, but I want to take our reading from the book of Jeremiah. And uh, Jeremiah is often called the crying prophet uh, because Jeremiah wrote a book called Lamentations, which literally means crying. Uh, Jeremiah's book and his prophecies were filled with sorrow and uh, he had a great work that he was supposed to do for God. But Jeremiah, like a lot of the prophets of God, um, they had reasons why they didn't want to be prophets. Uh, you might remember Moses, for instance, who, who looked at God and said, you know, send somebody else. I'm not a good speaker. Uh, why me? He asked all those questions. Well, before Jeremiah even gets to make an excuse, God takes his excuse away from him. Uh, so here in Jeremiah chapter 1 and verse 4, We'll begin our reading. It says, Then the, Lord, the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I sanctified you. I ordained you a prophet to the nations. Then said I, O oh Lord God, behold, I cannot speak, for I am a youth. That word youth there means I am just a child. But the Lord said to me, Do not say I am a youth, for you shall go to all to whom I send you, and whatever I command you, you shall speak. Do not be afraid of their faces, for I am with you to deliver you, says the Lord. So why I say that God took away his excuse before he said it is because God starts this out by saying, Listen, I decided before, Jeremiah says, I'm just a kid. And God says, Don't you say that. Don't you use your youth as an excuse. You're going to do what I've asked you to do in spite of your youth. I've chosen you for this job. You're going to go do it. You know, I think there's two sides of this. I think that sometimes young people would say the same thing as Jeremiah. That we expect certain things of them. We feel like they're capable of things and they say to us, Well, I can't do that. I'm too young. And then I think there's the other side of that where parents really don't know what their kids are capable of because they look at them and they think you're just too young. And there's got to be some balance somewhere in the middle because kids are capable of great things. And I want to show you some of that this afternoon. But I also want to talk about the fact that in spite of our youth, God expects things of us. In the book of Ecclesiastes, chapter 11, and there, verse 9, Solomon says, Rejoice, O young man, in your youth, and let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. Walk in the ways of your heart and in the sight of your eyes, but know that for these things God will bring you into judgment. Therefore, remove sorrow from your heart and put away evil from your flesh, for childhood and youth are vanity. Now, 
we've talked about this some, that in this writing in this book, and even sometimes in the book of Proverbs, there's a hint of sarcasm there. And I want to kind of give you the tone that I think Solomon is giving this in as he talks to this young man. He says, all right, go ahead. Go ahead. Let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. Go ahead. Do what you want. Make your own decisions. Go ahead. Have some fun. But don't you forget. There's always consequences for doing those things. And he says this in the next verse. Therefore, remove sorrow from your heart. Now, let's just stop for a moment and think about this. Solomon says, let your heart cheer you. Go do what you want to do. Go have fun. Go try to make yourself happy. But what does he say? Therefore, remove sorrow from your heart. Why does he say that? Because a lot of the things that young people do in the name of fun and the things that they do trying to seek out and follow their own heart end up in hardship. And that's why he says childhood and youth are vanity. No, he's not saying that all of the days of a young person are worthless or useless. He's saying following a path, knowing that foolishness is bound in the heart of a child, letting a child follow that path and doing the things that children want to do, he said, are really vain. Now, sometimes we make the statement, well, kids will be kids, you know. Or other times we'll say, well, they, we need to let kids be kids. And, I, and to a certain uh, degree, I would agree with that. We let kids be kids. And let kids have fun. But there's also balance in that. And we don't want to just let kids have fun all the time and not expect anything from them or train them or allow them to do things that they're capable of doing. In the 12th chapter, this is really a continuation of this thought. This is the end of chapter 11 in verse 10. And he goes right into the next chapter by saying, Remember now your Creator in the days of your youth, <coughs> excuse me, before the difficult days come and the years draw near when you say, I have no pleasure in them. I want to revisit a thought from this morning, and that is this. When kids grow up and they don't have the Lord in their heart, Many times it's hard to sow that seed when they're older. And I think a lot of young people think, well, you know, I know that I should be doing things that are godly and I should be serious and I should be trying to grow spiritually right now, but I'll do that when I'm older. And they put that off for many, many years and they never really get serious about God and they reach an age where they really have no pleasure in spiritual things. And so to you that are young here today, I would say this. Don't use your youth as an excuse. Don't think within yourself right now, I've got years ahead and I'll be spiritual then. And I want to read another verse that Solomon said in this book from verse seven, uh, chapter 7, verse 2, where he said this, Better to go to the house of mourning than the house of feasting. For that is the end of all men and the living will take it to heart. You know what he's saying? He's saying it's better to go to a funeral than to go to a birthday. Now, we don't think that way, do we? That's what we do for children. We have birthdays and we celebrate life. And, and I'm just like all the other young people when I was young. I thought I was invincible. I thought there's no way I'm going to die. But you know what? Kids around me died all the time. When I was 12 years old, my girlfriend died. 
You know how she died? Very unexpectedly. Aneurysm. She was riding her bicycle one day, lost her sight, just went completely blind, fell off of her bicycle, hit her head. They put her in the hospital. Two days later, she was dead, 12 years old. You know what? That made an impact on us. There was a lot of sobbing, a lot of tears, a lot of kids crying that day at this funeral. And I tell you, we look at it and we say, it's not fair that kids have to go through that, but it's good for us because it wakes us up and makes us realize something, and that is this. Life is fragile, life is precious, and it's not something we need to play with. It's not something to be played with. And just because you're young, don't think you're going to live forever. Don't think that you're going to have the time later in life to give your heart toward godly things right now. Because it may come that you don't give your life toward godly things. And when you get older, you could care nothing for it. Be very careful. Timothy was a young man, and we don't know how old he was. Uh, but a lot of times Paul spoke to him as being a very young man. And... Uh, he was at least young enough that Paul thought that some might despise his youth. And what did he mean by that? Let no one despise your youth. One of the challenges that a young man would face doing the work that Timothy did, going about and doing uh, really what we would look at as church management, because that's what Timothy did. He was called to these churches to set things in order and to ordain elders and to train men to do various things and teach others how to teach. Well, think about that. When he's a young man trying to teach older men, there could be some real great challenges there and people listening to what Timothy might have to say. And so Paul tells him, don't let them despise your youth. Well, why would they despise his youth? Because a lot of times young men do young men things. You know, uh, Jerry McCorkle, when I was training with him, told me a story about a young man he said was extremely talented and began to preach the gospel and was holding gospel meetings all over the place. And one day he was at a church, and it was Sunday afternoon, and they had just got finished with the meeting, and this guy had a hot rod car, American Muscle. And all the kids just gawked over it all week long and kept saying, oh, you need to go spin the tires, you need to go do this and do that. And he kept saying, no, no, I'm not going to do that. Well, at the last day of the meeting, he gets out there, and as he's leaving to go home, he stops right out in front of the church parking lot in the highway and hits the brakes and just romps on this car and smokes the tires and smoke rolls off, and he speeds off, and all the kids went, wow, and one of the elders looked over and goes, yeah, he's not there yet. And he spent a lot of time that week sowing good things. And they looked at him as have, being a, a young man that was full of wisdom. And I tell you what, he ruined all that influence right there in that moment. And they said, he's just a kid. That's what he meant by let no man despise your youth. Present yourself in a way that is mature and don't let people look at you and go, yeah, you're just a kid. Listen to what God expected from him. He said, I want you to be an example to the believers. In word, in conduct, in love, in spirit, in faith, and in purity. And we'll talk about some of these things in just a moment. But before we do that, I want to go to Titus chapter 2. Titus was also an evangelist, and this time the admonition was not toward Titus. But he was, <coughs> Titus was told to talk to young men about their behavior and about the way they conducted themselves. And he said, likewise, exhort the young men to be sober-minded. That means to be serious-minded. That's not just the opposite of drunkenness. 
But he says, you need to teach these young men to be serious-minded. Why? Because young men are not (laughs) serious-minded. They're they're constantly thinking about things that are crazy and funny and foolish and about how to get into mischief. And he says, I want you to tell these young men that they need to be sober-minded. And in all things, showing yourself, that's you, Titus, a pattern of good works. So he said, if you want them to do what's right, you've got to do what's right yourself. He said, in doctrine, showing integrity, reverence. We'll talk about reverence in a moment. Incorruptibility. Okay, incorruptibility is the idea of being immune to others' influence. That you yourself are not influenced to do things that we would call corruptible. Sound speech that cannot be condemned. That one who is an opponent may be ashamed having nothing evil to say of you. Now, let me ask you a question, young people. If I went and talked to your friends at school and I asked them about you, what would they tell me? Would they say something about you being a follower of Jesus? Or would they say, well, they're, no, they're just like us. They just do the same things we do. What would they say? See, God expects us to be examples. Even as young people, to be examples to those around us. And one of the things that he mentioned was to be an example in word. In James chapter 3 and verse 3, he says, Indeed, we put bits in horses' mouths that they may obey us, and we turn their whole body. Look also at ships, although they are so large and are driven by fierce winds, they are turned by a very small rudder wherever the pilot desires. Even so, the tongue is a little member and boasts great things. See how great a forest a little fire kindles. You know, when you think about a horse, a horse is a very powerful animal. And you know, really, if if you're holding a horse... Uh, and it tries to take off, you're in trouble. But you know what? If you've got a bit in its mouth, which is, is just a piece of metal about this far with two holes on it, if you've got the bit in his mouth and you're holding back the reins, you can turn that horse wherever you want to. And it's a very small thing in this very powerful animal's mouth, but you can control its whole body. And just like that, he, he compares a rudder on a ship. And you think about a rudder on the ship. Uh, you know, we used to have a, a little aluminum boat that we... Moved around a little 88-acre lake, and uh, one day, me and Van and my dad were all in this boat, and uh, we got out in the boat, and I guess we didn't have the, the post on the battery good, Lonnie, because <laughs> it wasn't charged. We charged it all night, and the next day, we got out in the boat, we got to fishing, and uh, we turned to come back toward the house, and it's a pretty good distance back to the house uh, through the water, and uh, our little trolley motor quit. And we were going against the wind. Well, I had to row us back because I only had one oar. Court Van, he's over there still fishing while I'm trying to get us back. And we're going against the wind. It took us forever to get back over there. You know how big the rudder on that trolley motor was? It was this big around. Pushing 600 pounds plus through the water. And without that little thing, we were in trouble. It's a little thing, but it's a big deal. That's what he's saying. It's a big deal, and it has a lot of control. And he says, that's your tongue. We teach kids stuff to uh, help them deal with their feelings. One of those things is that uh, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. And we're trying to toughen them up to think that words won't really impact them. Is that really true? You know, the... The truth is words sometimes hurt more than physical wounds. 
words stick with you for life. You can say something wrong, you can say something hurtful to somebody, and it sets a fire that gets out of control just like these grass fires that we have when the wind's blowing 70 miles an hour and nobody can put it out. Even as a young person, your words have impact on those about you. They have impact on your friends, upon your family, your brothers and sisters, the things you say to each other. They can be hurtful. And God says, I expect you to be an example in word. Another thing that we notice from Titus chapter 2 is the idea of reverence. <coughs> and Riley come up and asked me, what, what does reverence mean before church? And I said, well, it means respect or honor. Uh, it means submission. He said, why didn't you put that? And I said, well, that's not the word the Bible used. He said, oh, it's a Bible term. So that's kind of how we look at it, right? There's, there's these Bible terms that, that we see all the time. Well, reverence has the idea of honor. I remember uh, when I was young, we were taught to, cough drop came out. Uh, we were taught to respect those that were older than us. Uh, didn't matter whether we thought they were worthy of respect, we were just taught that respect people that are older than you. I see that being less and less important today. And uh, again, I'm not saying this is the worst generation ever. I don't think that's fair. I really don't think that's fair. But I do see some things changing. And the customs of reverence today, I see that changing. Uh, my best friend in high school, his name was Kyle. And uh, I spent nearly every day at his house after school. We, we, we go to the basketball gym for a while and play basketball. And we go to his house and play PlayStation. And I couldn't believe the way that he talked to his mother. I mean, it's awful. You know what she did? Oh, boys will be boys. I mean, he said some terrible things to her. I wasn't any different. Kids, don't disrespect your parents. They gave you life. They provide for you. They protect you. And you should respect them. The Bible says, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. Now listen to this. Which is the first commandment with promise. You know what the promise was? That it may be well with you, and you may live long on the earth. You want to live a long life? He said, obey your parents. And we'll talk about why that was the first commandment with promise in just a moment. You know, sometimes kids just won't be reverent. They just won't be reverent. They don't learn to be reverent. Thank you, sir. Very much. And I say I was no better uh, than my friend. Uh, I certainly didn't talk to my parents the way that he did. But I was still disrespectful at times. But, but I'll tell you, I didn't get away with it. Uh, I remember one time I, I disrespected my stepmother, and she slapped me right on the face. And that was the only time she ever did it, and it got my attention quick. I didn't expect it. It came quick. But I never did it again. I tease my kids about that. Boy, if I, talk, if I talk to my parents the way you talk to me, boy, I got my head knocked off. They're like, whatever. No, I was telling the truth. He who spares his rod hates his son, but he who loves him disciplines him promptly. My friend got away with that because his mother never did a single thing about it. 
We got to teach our kids respect. See, that's why I say it's not fair for us to look at the kids today and go, man, these kids are out of control. Well, why are they out of control? Is it their fault? No. I'll tell you, a lot of people hate their kids. You say, that's harsh. No, I'm using that word because of this proverb. When we fail to teach our kids, when we don't discipline our kids, he said, we hate our kids. That is the absence, the greatest absence of love is to let your kids do what they want and never correct them. That's what the proverb says. Someone that loves their kids, he says, disciplines them promptly. Now, this first commandment with promise was attached to another commandment that was given in the book of Deuteronomy. And, and I want to do this for the young people's benefit. You kids think you have it hard today. I promise you, you think that. But I want to show you how it was during the Old Testament. Deuteronomy 21 and 18, If a man has a stubborn and rebellious son who will not obey the voice of his father or the voice of his mother, and who when they have chastened him, he will not heed them, then his father and his mother shall take hold of him and bring him out to the elders of his city, to the gates of his city. Now, what do you think is about to happen here? They're going to publicly shame this boy for not obeying his parents. What do you think is about to occur? This is a boy who they said they've chastened him, they've disciplined him, but he still won't listen. He's rebellious. They shall say to the elders of his city, this son of ours is stubborn and rebellious. He will not obey our voice. He's a glutton and a drunkard. Look at verse 21. Then all the men of his city shall stone him to death with stones. So shall you put away the evil from among you, and all Israel shall hear and fear. You probably don't have it so bad, do you? You say, that's a really harsh punishment. I'll tell you, it was qualified by this, if they have chastened him. They looked at the parenting first. Okay, let's look at this young man's conduct, but let's see how he was parented. And they say, well, we chastened our son, but he still won't obey us. And they said, all right. He's going to bear his own iniquity. And they took the son outside of the city, and they killed him. They stoned him to death. Does that sound harsh? Sounds pretty harsh, doesn't it? That was God's attitude about a child obeying their parents. That was God's attitude. I want to show you another instance we see, which is very unique in Scripture, but I pulled this out for a reason. <coughs> Second Kings chapter 2 and verse 23 through 24 this is about the prophet Elisha, not Elijah, but his protege, Elisha. And uh, the Bible says of Elisha, then he went up from there to Bethel. And as he was going up the road, some youths, that some children, came from the city and mocked him, saying to him, Go up, you bald head. Go up, you bald head. So he turned around and looked at them and pronounced a curse on them in the name of the Lord. And two female bears came out of the woods and mauled 42 of the youths. Again, does that sound harsh? Now, I want you to think about this situation. Now, do you think Elijah had control of, Elisha rather, had control of nature? You think he had the power of Dr. Doolittle, he's talking to these bears? No. So, my question is this, who is it that caused the bears to go maul the kids? It was God. Why did he do that? These kids were irreverent. They were teasing this old man. And God doesn't like that. You know what we do today? 
We just think it's not a big deal. And I know I'm harping a little bit, but I'm going to tell you some things that, that, that people that are a little bit older here, and you guys think it's a joke, but it's not a joke to them. Okay, boomer. I hear this all the time from kids. Okay, boomer. You know what they're saying? They're saying, hey, look, your generation doesn't get it. My generation gets it. Your generation doesn't. Okay, boomer. That is extremely disrespectful to older people. Extremely disrespectful. And I know kids think they're woke, and they think that they know everything, and that this older generation knows nothing. Let me tell you something, young people. I thought I knew everything, and I knew nothing. I thought I knew everything. There are certain things that older people know you couldn't even begin to fathom about life and about wisdom and about the situation that's going on in America and all of those things. And be very careful with the way that you disrespect older people. Because while you may think it's funny and you may think it's okay, God doesn't look at it that way. Through every dispensation of time, God has called young people to respect and revere those that are older than them. One of the things that Paul mentioned to Timothy was that he needed to be an example in love. And we talked about different aspects of love this morning, and I don't want to go into great detail about this, but in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 and verse 4, <coughs> he defines what love looks like embodied through a person. In their character, in their behavior, in the way that they treat one another. He talks about love suffering long and being kind. Do we expect kindness out of our children? Does that matter, kids? Whether you're kind to one another? He said, love does not envy, love does not parade itself, is not puffed up. Now, I, I give kids a pass on this because they really don't understand their pride. And, and, you know, they enjoy accomplishing things. I think there's a balance there. I think it's good for kids to feel a sense of pride and accomplishment, but sometimes it gets out of hand. And I'll tell you, usually when it gets out of hand is when we make it get out of hand. And then we pet their pride, and it becomes a pet. we got to be real careful about that. Because we want our kids to enjoy their accomplishments, but what we don't want to do is create a little arrogant monster uh, and that, that can get out of hand really quickly. And he said, love is not that way. Love doesn't parade itself around. It's not puffed up. He said, it doesn't behave rudely. I'll tell you, that's another thing that we see today is kids are rude. They're mean. They're hateful. You know what? I haven't heard that from these kids in this building. And I thank God for that. And I hope you don't do that at school. I hope you don't get caught up in that. I hope you don't treat people with disrespect and that you're rude to people. Because we don't just teach you to be polite and say thank you and yes ma'am and no ma'am and you're welcome and things like that because we think it's good etiquette. It's something that's a biblical concept of not being rude but being polite and being courteous. He said it is not seeking its own, it's not provoked. It thinks no evil. It does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things. It endures all things. And I've done this in the past, and I want you to do it again. Instead of the word love, I want you to plug your name in those verses, and let's look in the mirror and see if those things fit us. Can we say that that is a description of our character?
that we suffer long, we are kind, we don't envy, etc. Be an example, he says, in love. Be an example in spirit. And uh, when I read this word spirit, uh, we automatically go to the idea of we all have a spirit. But a lot of times spirit means disposition. It means our attitude. It has the idea with the way we conduct ourselves. And I want to look at some young people just for a moment. Because, again, I think sometimes we don't expect a whole lot out of our young people. But I know of some young people in Scripture that that were exemplary young people, that they had already accomplished great things as far as their their attitude and their character was concerned. And one of those was King David. And uh, at this time in 1 Samuel 13 and 14, David was not King David. He was young David, a boy, a child who was shepherding the flock. And after Samuel uh, had told Saul that he had been rejected from being king, he said these words to him, Now but your kingdom shall not continue. The Lord has sought for himself a man after his own heart, and the Lord has commanded him to be the commander over his people, because you have not kept what the Lord commanded you. Who was he talking about? He was talking about David, who was a kid. David already had a good heart. And you say, well, maybe he's just talking about David would have a good heart when he was king. So I brought this verse up, and I'm going to bring this verse up again in 1 Samuel 16 and 7. When Samuel went to the house of Jesse to start looking at Jesse's sons to anoint the king and find the king, Samuel had no idea who the king was going to be. He didn't go there looking for David. He went there to look at Jesse's sons. And the Lord said unto Samuel, look not on his countenance. Now he's talking about Eliab, which was David's brother, and he was a big burly man, a big mighty man. And when Samuel saw him, he thought, okay, surely this is the Lord's anointed. And God said, no, don't look on the outside. Don't look on the height of his stature, because I have refused him. For the Lord seeth not as man seeth. For Lord, the man looketh on the outward appearance, but the Lord looketh on the heart. David was just a boy. But he was a boy that had a heart for the Lord. He didn't just have a good heart. He had a heart for the Lord. Notice how they even treated David when he went to face with Goliath. And I want to show you, there were two people that day that said to David what Jeremiah wanted to say to the Lord, which was, I'm just a kid. In 1 Samuel chapter 17 and 28, now Eliab, that's this big burly guy, his oldest brother heard when he spoke to the men, and Eliab's anger was aroused against David, and he said, why did you come down here? And with whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? I know your pride and the insolence of your heart, for you have come down to see the battle. Here's what Eliab is saying. What are you doing here? This is a place for men. Shouldn't you be back with the sheep? I know why you're here. Because you think you're big and you're bad and you showed up here because you want to come watch the battle. You're just a kid. And if that didn't make matters worse, David goes and talks to the king, and the the king says the same thing. David says to Saul, the king, now imagine this little boy comes up to the king, and he says, let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go and fight with the Philistine. All these other soldiers were cowering in fear. Here comes this boy and says, hey, don't worry, I got this. Well, we would look at that and go, you arrogant little punk. That was not what David was doing, though. 
But Saul said, listen, you, you can't go fight with this guy. You're just a kid. And he's been a man of war from being a youth. You can't do this. You're just a boy. You know what David said? He said, look, I've already done this. I've already went out in the name of the Lord and rescued a sheep out of the mouth of a lion. And the Lord that delivered me and the Lord that delivered the lion into my hand will deliver this Philistine into my hand. It wasn't about David feeling like he was bulletproof. It wasn't about him being arrogant. It was about his trust in God even as a young man to know that when we fight for the Lord, the Lord's with us. And he was just a boy. Purity. Be an example in purity. What does purity mean to you? You know, if uh, you took a piece of gold in its raw state to have it appraised, they would look at that gold and they would test its purity. You know what they'd be looking for? Stuff in it that wasn't gold. And uh, there's a purification process, a refining, if you will, that they do with fire where they can get all the impurities out so they have pure gold. And that's what the word purity means. It means without other things. It means genuine, 100%. Purity, he says, as a child is important. Now, uh, why am I using Psalms 38? And I think you'll understand that in a moment. Because as we mentioned earlier, some things that we do in life stick with us. Uh, David, in Psalm 38 and verse 3, said, There is no soundness in my flesh because of your anger, nor any health in my bones because of my sin. Now, I want to jump ahead just for a moment and remind you of this verse where he says, Go ahead, walk in your ways, go do what you want, but know that God's going to bring you into judgment. Now, let's listen to David, because <coughs> here's a man who experienced exactly what his son, Solomon, said. He made some very poor decisions. And he's experiencing the judgment of God in this way. He can feel God's hand of wrath upon him already because of his sinfulness. And he said, it feels like I am sick inside because of the sin that I've committed. He says, for my iniquities have gone over my head like a heavy burden. They are too heavy for me. My wounds are foul and festering. That literally means my wounds stink and are infected. And he said they won't heal. I'm troubled. I'm bowed down greatly. I go mourning all the day long. I'll tell you what's tragic. Is a lot of young people are not taught to try to live their life in purity. And so they go along to get along with their friends. And they make some of the same decision that their friends do. And it gets out of hand. And they do something that causes them shame and guilt and grief. And they don't feel like they can go talk to their parents about it or someone else. And they try to live with it. And I tell you, adults, you, those of you who have lived with shameful sin, imagine a child trying to live with that kind of guilt. And we look around today and we go, you know what? Kids are depressed. Wonder why. You see these young kids getting involved in drugs and things because they think that life is not worth living. 
I'll tell you why. They've got a terrible home life and they're involved in some things that are very shameful. You can go have fun and do some childish things and enjoy some foolishness, but listen, it's going to affect you in ways that you have no idea about. Sin will hurt you, not just in the long run, but emotionally and mentally, sin will hurt you. It will affect you. 2 Kings chapter 22, I want to close with this thought. 2 Kings chapter 22 and verses, uh, I got 1 through 21, that is not correct. It's just 1 and 2, so don't get scared. Josiah was 8 years old when he became king. You did not hear that incorrectly. Josiah was 8 years old when he became king and he reigned 31 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Jedidah, the daughter of Adai of Bozkath. And he did what was right in the sight of the Lord and walked in all the ways of his father David. He did not turn aside to the right hand or to the left. Now, to give you some perspective, Olivia is eight. Now, we tease people and tell people she is the ruler of our home. She's not. Not really. Imagine an eight-year-old having his own monarchy. You think he had help? (laughs) Let me tell you something about an eight-year-old. You know what an eight-year-old is? Easily swayed. There are always people in every kingdom that are looking to take over and gain power. Somehow Josiah reigned for 31 years, starting at age eight. And never turned aside. You know how many kings of Israel never turned aside in its history? I can only think of two. This one and Hezekiah. Almost every king had their moments or even their whole life got turned aside toward power and riches and women and all kinds of other things. But Josiah didn't. And he started at eight years old and my point is this it's never too early to start teaching our kids to serve God and it's never too early to expect them to serve God and look at the impact it can have in the long run if you're here today and you're young I know you've got tons of things to worry about in life you got responsibilities already. But you have a responsibility to be a representative of Christ and God every day of your life. And God expects that of you. He doesn't expect you to do more than what you're capable of, but He does expect you to do what you are capable of. And parents, we need to hold them accountable for this. Friends, this afternoon, if you have a need, we want to address that need, help you address that need by bringing that to the foot of Jesus And so we offer the invitation at this time. Uh, If you would, come have a seat, and we will help you as we sing the song selected.